uh, there were some major uh, man and women projects going on, and uh, we had an awesome time and uh, served our city, served our uh, first responders and, uh, in, in a couple of ways, but also uh, we just showed love, uh, and that's what really kind of what it's all about. Well, I'm glad you're here today, and it's great that uh, you've come to join us. If you're a guest, it's awesome to have you. My name is Randy, and uh, it's just uh, it's a wonderful blessing to have everybody here today. Uh, we are starting a new series today, and we're going to be talking, uh, the name of the series is Tell Someone. A few weeks ago, I was in Harrodsburg, uh, downtown Harrodsburg, driving through the main drag there, and I saw an unusual sight on the corner. There were a couple standing there. He was dressed up in a coat and tie, and she in a dress on a Saturday morning, which is a little bit unusual. He had a very large Bible in one hand and a handful of tracts in the other, and around his neck, he had a sign tied that asked, do you know Jesus? The woman who stood beside him had a larger full-body sandwich board sign on the front and back that talked about eternal punishment. They were standing at the light, and um, I had to stop right there beside him. And I glanced over at him, and uh, she looked extremely uncomfortable. And I, don't, I, don't, I think I know why, you know? She looked really uncomfortable. He looked at me, searched my face to see if he could catch 10 minutes before the light changed to have a conversation with me. So quickly, the light changed, and I drove on through. And I want to tell you, there were two thoughts that went through my mind. The first one is, that's really weird and awkward. That is really weird. I was really uncomfortable just, you know, just driving by. But then almost immediately as I drove past, another thought went through my mind. It's like, yeah, that was weird and uncomfortable. You know what? At least they're doing something. At least they're doing something, you know? And uh, so I, the more I thought about that, I thought, you know, God must have prompted them in some way to go do that. As, as awkward as it seemed to be, because nobody would come up with something like that on their own, right? And so I was down the street for just a few minutes. I stopped at a store. I came back by, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to stop, and I'm going to hear what their story is. But when I came back by, they were gone. Now, I believe one of two things happened. Number one, I believe that woman said, I'm done with this. I'm going home. And he went, at, went with her. Or what I hope happened is that somebody actually stopped and said, you know, I, I would love to talk to you about Jesus. That's what I would like to think happened at, at that story. But you know what? As I thought of that, I thought 99% of us would never picture ourselves doing that. To be honest, it's not really very productive, I think. But we use that kind of imagery in our mind when we think about talking to people about Jesus. And easily we can excuse ourselves by saying, there's no way I'm going to do that. You know, there's a lot of disagreement about people about whether your faith ought to be private and personal or whether you ought to share your faith. But one thing we all agree on, Christians and non-Christians alike, is that evangelism is oftentimes a little awkward. And I think that Satan is really, really happy about that. I think he's excited when he sees uh, our hesitancy and we, we see things like that and we think, I would never do that because I believe in many ways he has formed our view of what it means to share our faith with other people about Jesus. And it's not a very favorable view. 95% of people, we're told, of Christians have never led anyone to Christ. 95%. 59%, we're told, uh, seldom or never talk about their faith with other people. All of that in spite of what we have and what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28 that says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. 
We have that great commission, that great commandment that we've been given there, and yet we do not do it very well. 95% of us don't do it hardly at all or never even talk about it. Those were the last words that Jesus spoke. And, and I don't know about you, but you know, whenever I leave, leave somewhere or my kids leave, the last thing I say is what I really want them to remember. And I got a feeling that the last thing Jesus said, he really wants us to remember and obey. But it seems like that Jesus' last words have become our last concern. Something that we don't ever think about doing or prepare to do. The Great Commission has become the great omission. Let me explain that. You know, there's the sin of commission that we all do. Whenever you do something wrong that you should not do, you commit a sin. You the sin of commission. But there's also another side of that sin, and omission is when you do not do what you ought to do. In fact, the Bible says it like this in James chapter 4, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So us having read the Bible and knowing what we're supposed to do, us not doing it or ever even planning to do it can be definitely be a sin. Now, let me kind of help you think about this whole thing because none of us like the idea of, of making a risk like that, do we? But let me tell you how, this, how I can th- think about this. My wife, Lori, when she was younger growing up, she, she and her um, family had a newspaper route, two or three of them, I believe. And she would talk about getting up like at unbelievable hours in the morning and going and getting the papers. And then as a family, they would deliver these newspapers. And she talked, she has great memories of that. Now, whenever they did that back in the day, I, I think this was probably back during the Vietnam War, and there, were a lot, there was a lot of bad news coming out. There was bad news everywhere. But you know what? Lori and her family did not write the news. They didn't create the news. All they did was deliver the news. So if you wonder sometime, you know, can I talk to people about, you know, what the Bible says about, about sin and about heaven and hell and everything? You know, you're not creating the news. You're not writing the news. You're just, you're just delivering the news, the warnings in the Bible. Let me give you another example. Let's say you're walking along the road and you see a house that's just caught on fire. And there's smoke kind of coming out of the windows and it's not consumed yet. And you look in the window and there's a child that's obviously very confused. And you know that you could go in the house, get the child out. You could save that child. If you just put forth some effort, what would you do? How in the world could you not do anything? How could you just go on your walk and not try or not call the fire department or anything. How could you do that? And yet, we walk away every day from people who are in a burning house, and they do not realize it. And it's not like it's just, you know, going to get smoke inhalation here or maybe die physically. It's an eternal fire. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Jude that we should snatch people from the flames. That has an idea of being very intentional and taking a risk and being very deliberate in what we do. And so for a few weeks, we're going to talk about this series called Tell Someone, and and I just want you to know I'm not doing this to make anybody feel guilty. When I think about this, I generally feel guilty. I don't want you to feel guilty. What I want you to do, I I want you to be encouraged and inspired. I want you to start thinking that if God has given me this mission and this this responsibility, that he's going to give me the power and the ability to do it and the words to say if I have the courage to try it. And I want to prepare you so that when the Holy Spirit nudges you, and he will, when you are nudged, that you will be confident and ready. And today we're going to talk, just kind of lay the foundation for that and see what the Bible has to say. You know, I believe that sharing your faith is one of the most exciting experiences in the entire world. It is a rush 
to see people come to know Jesus Christ. It is one of the greatest joys, and the reason for that is because that's what you were created for. God made you for that. He designed you to share your faith with other people. That's why it's exciting, and it can be fun. It can be exhilarating. I want to tell you, one of the things that we do uh, whenever we're privileged and blessed to help share Jesus with somebody and somebody makes a decision on our staff and we have a baptism and we, we have one second service this morning, one thing we do is we send the text out to all of our staff and, and sometimes we include other people on that as well because we want to share that. You know why? It's a win. It is the win. It's the ultimate win when someone gives their life to Jesus Christ. It's not a duty. It's a privilege. It's an adventure. Here's what the Bible says in Psalms 126. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Now understand what he's saying. He's saying it is not easy to sow seed. I remember when I was a kid, we, I grew up on a farm, and, and we would have to go out. And what I remember specifically was having to replant tobacco. I don't know if anybody ever did that, but sometimes plants would die in a row. We'd have to go out always on a rainy day, a wet day when the ground was soft, and we would have to trudge through the mud, and we hated it. We despised it. Dad made all of us kids go, and I remember that. It was so much work plodding along, planting seed in the ground. And then we had to, you know, we had to nurture. We had to, to hoe it. We had, to, you know, to, to, to fertilize all that work. But one day, we got Christmas. And the reason we got Christmas is because the crop grew up. Not advocating tobacco, all right? I'm just saying that's the crop that we raised when I was a kid, all right? But here's the thing about it. It's hard work to sow seed, but one day, one day the harvest will come. And when the harvest comes and you lead people to Jesus, it brings joy with the harvest. In fact, the Bible says there is joy for us. There is joy for those who come to know Jesus, but also there is joy in heaven. Listen to this scripture in Luke chapter 15. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So if you want to make God happy, if you want to make Jesus smile, if you want the Holy Spirit to rejoice, if you want to make the angels um, applaud, if you want to find personal joy for yourself and give eternal life to somebody else, then commit to sharing your faith. That sounds like a win, 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 right? And not just an earthly win, an eternal win. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, man, I would love to do that. You know, if I was just trained, if I was just, you know, like a professional, that would be great. That's for somebody else. But I want to tell you that God uses the most unlikely people in the world to lead people to Jesus. He really does. The most unlikely people. You know, I've had the privilege in my ministry to be able to share Jesus with a lot of people and see a lot of people respond. But I would tell you that the last thing I wanted to do was be a preacher. I was the shyest kid you ever met. I was that kid that hid behind their, their mother's skirt and their dad's pant leg. I'm telling you, I was afraid anywhere I went I was going to get lost. I just didn't like crowds. I was the shyest person in the world, and yet I've been privileged that God has allowed me to help lead people to Jesus. In the Bible, you see tons of people. Moses was tongue-tied when God called with him, and he pleaded, God, please send somebody else to lead your people. Jeremiah the prophet was 18 years old when God called him. Moses was 80. Noah got drunk. Peter denied Christ. Uh, the disciples fell asleep at the moment of crisis. Lazarus was dead, and yet God used all of them. What is your excuse? What is your excuse? You know, somebody said an excuse was just a lie dressed up for a fancy dinner. You know? 
Because we all got an excuse for everything. I can tell you a, a million excuses, but it's just a fancy lie. We excuse ourselves, you know, I just don't have time. I don't know anybody. I don't know what to say. I probably would, you know, wouldn't have the right answer. The reality is that all of us know, as a Christian, what it means to become a Christian because you are one. And what you experience, you can share that testimony. Nobody can argue with that. God wants you to tell somebody. See, God is not looking for ability. He's looking for capability. God has done doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And you are called. And you and I, if you are a Christian, you have a commandment and a mission. And it is probably the most important thing you could do at this moment. Probably the most important thing you could do. You know, it, it's more important than a lot of other things. And here's why. Jesus said to do it. People need to hear it. And number three, so you don't st stagnate spiritually. Because what happens if you never share your faith, you can tend to stagnate. In fact, you probably need to share your faith worse than you need to go to another Bible study. You need to share it worse than you need to read another Christian book. You need to, you need to share your faith worse than you need to sit in another church service. In fact, if you were to tell me, Randy, I have a friend who's lost, but the only time I could talk to them would be at 9.30 in the morning, and I would say, well, get out of here. You're about half an hour late. Go. Really, seriously. Because we comfort ourselves by thinking we're doing all we can for God, sometimes by just showing up. And personally, the most important thing we could probably do would be to go and share our faith with somebody. Now, all those things I talked about are important. Don't stop coming to church, all right? Reading your Bible and going to Bible studies, all right? But if you just keep taking it in and taking it in, you're going to stagnate spiritually. It would be like eating all the time and never exercising. It's just not good for us. And we can become fat but very unhealthy spiritually. You know, a lot of Christians, I think, we're kind of hoarders, aren't we? We have the truth, but we hoard the truth. We want more truth. We want to know more and learn more and everything else. You know, we, we all know about hoarders, right? I, I have a barn, and if you would see my barn, you would say, Randy, you're a hoarder. I don't look at it that way. You know, I've got a lot of projects that have a lot of potential in there. But we all know, you all know what a serious hoarder is, right? I mean, floor to ceiling. You've seen those on TV probably, and, and how wrong that can be. I heard about a hoarder who, uh, who actually their, their stuff collapsed on them and suffocated them and killed them. And you know what? We can do that spiritually, can't we? We can hoard information uh, and truth in the Bible. We can hoard all of that. God doesn't want us to hoard the truth. He wants us to share it. A hoarder is never satisfied with what they have. They always want more and more, and they never give anything away. The Bible says that we've been given truth to share truth. We've been blessed to be a blessing to others. The way we say it here, one of our values is that found people find people. If you've been found, if you've been discovered by Christ, then you then go and find other people to tell about Jesus. And you know what? In finding others for Jesus, we actually rediscover ourselves in him. Because there is nothing that sets you on fire. There's nothing that makes you appreciate Jesus more, love him more, than to see somebody else accept him as their Lord and Savior. I'll just tell you that. So as you're feeling spiritually dry, you need to start sharing what you've found with other people. Don't hoard the truth. Share the truth with others. Now, to do that, there's a couple of principles I want to share with you I think are important. Number one, effective sharing starts with caring. Effective sharing starts with caring. If you don't care about people, you're not going to share. I mean, it's just basic as that. And maybe not sharing indicates that you don't really care. 
Here's the reality. Most of us don't like to share what we have with other people, even when we have enough and it won't short us to share with them. We're just not a very generous people in our world today. Sharing is not a natural habit. You see it in children, right? The lack of it in kids. They just don't share what they have with one another. They don't want to share. We have a hard time sharing what we have with the people we love, let alone the people that are strangers or maybe what we might call enemies. And guys, let's be honest here. Sometimes we see people who are not believers as the enemy, and they see us as the enemy, like there's a wall between us, that we don't broach these issues, that we don't worry about them, and, and we hope they don't, you know, press too much on us as well. Why do we see people as enemies? I think we know that as Christians, we're called to live different lives. And we see people who are not Christians doing certain things, and it's easy for us to be critical of them. We shouldn't be critical. The Bible says we're not to judge the world because when people do things that God doesn't approve of and they're not Christians, we shouldn't be surprised. We should just say, well, that's, that's normal, you know. We shouldn't see them as the enemy. They are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Satan is the one who holds us captive until we are freed by the blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, there are people around us who are POWs, prisoners of war, that we can free. They're in a burning house that we can rescue. They don't know the news that we can deliver. God wants us to do that. They're not the enemy. But we don't always care enough about them. In fact, sometimes as Christians, we try to get as far away from non-believers as, as possible. And that is wrong. It's so unlike Jesus. You know, Jesus loved to be with lost people. He cared about people no matter who they were, lost or saved, he cared about them. I think he cared more about the lost sometimes. You know, I'll be honest with you, I've been around a lot of religious people in my life, and there are, you know, sometimes I would rather be with lost people than with religious people. You know what I mean? I'd rather be with them. They're a lot more honest and they're a lot more caring sometimes. So wouldn't it be great to take those lost people and make them save people and maybe influence the people that have lost their heart for God? But sharing starts with caring. Secondly, sharing our faith sometimes requires a little anger. You got to get upset about it sometime. You know, most important movements happen because somebody saw an injustice or something wrong and they got upset and they said, you know what, we're going to fix this. We're going to do something about it. Take slavery, for example. People looked at that and said, that is so wrong. We're going to get mad. We're going to get angry and do something about it. Mad. Mothers against drunk drivers. The, the name says it all. Somebody got mad, they said, this is wrong, that the laws are so lax, because they do a lot of lobbying, that the laws are so lax that someone can just over and over again go back and, and kill someone and never have to pay for that. And, and so they, they make an, bring an awareness and they change laws in healthy and appropriate ways, of course. But you know what? Sometimes we just got to get mad at, at sin, not at people, but mad at the devil who, who is deceiving people. We're entirely too passive about that. I think we've just become so stinking nice, you know, that we're just nice. We just don't want to get angry at anybody, even Satan, and that's wrong. We don't even think about it, and we're not honest with ourselves. We're not honest with other people. If we were, we would never let them stay in a burning house, and we'd be furious about how Satan is trying and lying to people every day, and we'd be heartbroken about how lost people really are, and we'd be driven to compassion for them. You know, that's kind of the picture that, that we see in Luke chapter 15. In, in that chapter, if you, you probably know these stories, there's three stories that Jesus talks us, uh, gives us and tells us about how God views lost people, those who are far from him. The first one is about a shepherd who lost a sheep. 
You probably heard that story. A shepherd had 100 sheep, and, and he went out one evening to bring them in, and 99 came in, and one was lost. One was missing. And so he left the 99, and he went and discovered uh, that that sheep had wandered away, and he searched until he found it, and he brought it back. He left the 99 safe and searched for the one. And you know from that a few years ago, there was a phrase, the way it makes sense to me, is that those in danger always take priority over those who are safe. Those in danger always take priority over those who are safe. You know what? That shouldn't make us mad. It should make us concerned about those who are missing, those who are not safe. The second comparison about a woman who lost a coin. You know, in that day, when you were poor, pennies mattered. Pennies mattered. And this woman lost a small coin, but she searched everything she, uh, everywhere she could find until she discovered it, and then she rejoiced over it. And the last comparison is probably the most famous to us. We call it the prodigal son story. But he says it's about a father and a son, that God's like a father whose son leaves home uh, because he wanted all of his wealth immediately. He didn't want to wait for his father to die. He wanted his wealth at the moment. And so the father generously, lovingly gave him that, and the boy went away and wasted everything he had until he's broke and he has to feed pigs to survive which was the depth of of everything for a Jewish boy. He's even tempted to eat the food to survive. But he finally decides, you know what? My father's house and his servants have plenty there. I'm going to swallow my pride and go home. And you know the story. Meanwhile, the father is waiting for his son. He's been grieving and missing him, maybe months, perhaps years, who knows? One thing I know that parents are always thinking about and missing their kids, no matter how old they are. But he's looking for that son (laughs) to return. (laughs) And when the son comes, the father looks up, sees his son coming back, and he runs to meet him. Now, that's kind of amazing because in that day, old men don't, didn't run. It was beneath their dignity. It also is harder. As I get older, I might break into a trot every now and then, but rarely do I go into a full-scale run, so I kind of get it. So it was pretty important when the father runs to grab his son, and he welcomes him back to restore him. Let me ask you this. Would you lose your dignity for somebody who is lost to find Jesus? Would you be humble enough to maybe risk embarrassing yourself by them saying, I don't want to talk about that? Would you, would you be willing to say, well, I, you know, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'd be glad to try to do some research and get back to you about that. Would you lose your dignity for somebody who does not know Jesus so that you could restore them to the Father? You know, part of our mission as a church is to make disciples who make disciples. What that means is that we just want, don't want to just be content with winning people to Jesus. We want people one to Jesus who in turn win other people to Jesus. You might say, well, don't we hire some people to do that? I mean, Randy, you're one of them. Don't we hire you to do that? I want to tell you, I love that. I'm so blessed to be able to do that. But, you know, can you imagine what would happen if every one of us left this room and shared our faith with Jesus and, and did that a couple times a year? Could you see what the kingdom would do? That's where multiplication comes in more than adding. That's how the church grew, because people loved others enough to share them. And that's the commandment that Jesus gave. We want to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus, all of us together, everyone moving, not only ourselves, but others. And you know what? It's so easy for us to get kind of, I don't know, immune, you know, or callous to it. We just kind of go through the, just kind of go through the motions. Somebody said it's kind of like the difference between adults and children when it comes to something, you know? Let's take, for example, Disney. You know, like two weeks ago, half of her sales was in Disney, all right? 
I'm pretty convinced of that. But you know, one thing about Disney is that some people love it and some people hate it. A lot of parents hate Disney. Their kids love it. They, they take them because, you know, they, they want it. But con- adults complain, it's too expensive. You know what? There's nowhere to eat, a good place. There's long lines. Um, there's too much walking. It's just too big. But you never hear a kid complain about Disney like that, do you? They never complain about it because to them, they love it. You know, it's fresh. They're caught up in the excitement. And I think it's sometimes like that sometimes for us as older Christians, adult Christians, if you will. When you know the Lord for a long time, you can get jaded pretty easily. And then you start to complain. You start saying, you know, the music is too loud. It's kind of weird because the older you get, the, less, the, the worse your hearing gets. But strangely enough, the older you get, the music is too loud. Uh, I don't know all the songs. The preaching is too long. It is too hot. It is too cold. It is too big. It is too small. You fill in the, the blank. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're jaded about something, you can always find something you don't like. But you know what? You don't get that from baby Christians. You don't get that from young Christians. Why? Because they have not forgotten what it was like not to know Jesus. That's why a statistic we shared a few weeks ago that most people who won to the Lord are won by younger Christians, unfortunately, who may be no less than anybody else, but they still got the excitement, the passion about sharing their faith with other people. Because if you've just become a Christian, all that other stuff, you might notice it, but it doesn't matter. Because you know what the, what the risk is. You know what it means to be lost and saved. So if you want to recapture some of that, here's what I would encourage you to do. To bring a non-believer with you to church next week. You say, I don't know any. Get to know one this week. You can find them pretty easily. Not that hard. People, people are searching for something. 25% of the people out there said they would go to church if somebody asked them. That means a fourth of the people that you know don't go to church would go if you ask them. How do you sweeten the pot? You go, hey, let me come pick you up, and I'll take you and the family out to dinner afterwards. Who would turn that down, you know? It's going to cost you a little bit, but that may be the seeds you're sowing, all right? You're going out to sow, and you're looking for a harvest. But you just do that, and when you do that, and you sit with them, you see through their eyes. Man, you want them to hear the gospel. You, you might say, well, he talks about Jesus every week. Yes. <laughs> yeah. When you've got somebody who doesn't know Jesus with you, you want them to hear about Jesus. You don't want to hear about everything else. You want to hear about Jesus. You're going, you know what? They talk every week about if anybody wants to give their life to Jesus. We say wouldn't say that every week. When you're sitting with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, you want them to hear. You want them to respond to the invitation and give their life to Jesus. You want that so much. And I would just say if you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ... You're kind of getting some inside insight a little bit about what we do and why we do it. But that's okay because we want you to know how important you are. We want you to know that, that we love you and God loves you and that God wants to mobilize the church. And we do a poor job of that sometimes. But to help you see your need for Jesus. And there's no judgment here. But the Bible says that every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that our sin separates us from God and that none of us can fix it. None of us can. No matter how good you are, it does not matter. But it says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that is what it is all about. And so as we wrap up this morning, let me just issue that invitation to say if you don't know who Jesus is, we would love for you to decide today to follow him. In fact, everything that we do is not just to 
fatten ourselves up spiritually, but it is to provide a place to reach out to say we care about people who do not know Jesus because we believe that decision is the most important thing you can ever do. And we want to invite you to know Jesus like we've discovered. We're not better than anybody. We may be better off only because of Jesus, but we invite you to come. And so I'm going to be up front. If you want to step up and just talk to me, that would be great. If you want to catch me afterwards, I'd love to have the conversation anytime this week, whatever, because it's just that important. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come this morning. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for that amazing verse in John 3.16 that you declared your love for us and that you gave your only son to come down here to die for us so that we might be saved if we believe in him. God, my prayer is that it's twofold this morning. Number one, that if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus, they would see the extent of your love and they would see uh, the, the call that we have to love people and to, to lead them to Jesus. But God, secondly, that for those of us who are believers and maybe we've been around a long time, that God, you would ignite a passion and a fire inside of us that would not be content to be passive about people around us. And God, we would be thinking God, we would be using our, our, our experiences and our relationships and our opportunities every day to plant the seed and to have maybe even just a blatant conversation about somebody with Jesus. Because, God, we just never know. We never know. But what we do know is that the moment is, is real. It's right, right now. So, God, thank you for the moment. Thank you that we can come to you in a moment. Lord, if there are those here today who need to respond, we just, they'd have the courage to do so. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.